Greetings once again, beloved. Time for another one of our sermons from the summer. That would have been a great name for this whole series, and I wish I had a thought of that. That sums up all the introductions that I've been doing for them. But we have two more, just two more remaining here uh, to finish up the sermons from the summer that were not recorded. Uh, again, this is for the study Jesus Life on Earth, which is a study of the Lord's ministry in chronological order. Uh, been working on this personally for seven years and preaching it at three different churches. Uh, it's It has been a wonderful blessing for me. Uh, just a little confession, being raised up Catholic, I didn't know uh, the order of these events. Heard about a lot of them. Um, certainly, uh, you understand not the entirety of the truth behind all those events, but never heard them in sequential order. Uh, so this has been a great blessing, a, a wonderful study. Uh, I don't know how it how it meets you. Uh, but I, I pray it's been a blessing to you as well. Uh, as I mentioned in the last recording, there's uh, I, I'm more than happy to share the, the outlines with you. Uh, I would encourage you to get A.T. Robertson's book, uh, The Harmony of the Gospels, which uh, was available at the Berea Bookstore last time uh, I was there. Uh, wonderful, wonderful book. Um, there's It's basically brief commentary and then... Uh, sequential ordering of all of these events. And, and that's how we're using it. I'm actually using the same titles for these events that he did. Uh, so if you were to have that book, it would really help you to put all of these in order as well. Uh, and I did that intentionally. So I pray that it'll be a blessing. I pray the study has been a blessing. Uh, and, and if you feel the, the need to thank us, you can certainly go to Grace Missionary Baptist Church, Tulsa, OK. Uh, okay for Oklahoma. You look us up on Facebook that way. Uh, you can you can like or share as you see fit. Uh, you can certainly follow and like and share all these other things too, the Apple Podcasts and Podbean. Uh, honestly, uh, we, we do it the most affordable way that we can to get the gospel out to the most amount of people possible. So uh, it, it's not, it's probably not the greatest and most magnificent as far as sound quality, uh, but again, we're not looking for fans. We're looking to, to educate and bless. So uh, I pray that it has been that indeed. So today's lesson follows hot on the heels of the lesson recorded earlier today, Jesus' life on earth. Jesus withdraws to Bethany beyond Jordan. So if you're trying to listen to him in order, this falls right behind that one. And there's one more to go after this one. Uh, so Lord willing, if my voice holds out, I'll try to get it done today. And then we'll never have to do these awkward introductions again. But uh, do pray for me again. Uh, it's, it's equaled out to basically preaching eight sermons a week for the last two weeks to get them done. But uh, I think that it'll it'll be worth the blessing in the end for sure for for your for your education, my reading, and all that. So today we're in Luke 14. And we're going to read the first 24 verses, and we've entitled this outline, Discourse at the Pharisees' Table. And Luke 14, verses 1 through 24, and then we'll break it down from there. And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. According to the National Institute of Health, dropsy was a term used to describe generalized swelling and was synonymous with heart failure. Failure, and most treat, treatments were aimed at relieving fluid retention at that time. So, a uh, man is brought before him that has this this issue, this dropsy, and Jesus answering or speaking to their silence, spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, 
Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And answered them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit, and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again uh, to these things. And he put forth a parable of those which were bidden, when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee, <clears throat> and him come and say to thee, Gave, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may ask unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper, and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time, to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they, and they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that the sets, so that servant came and showed his lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. This is the third and final time recorded where Jesus would dine with a Pharisee. We have in this text technically three different parables from uh, verses 7 through 11 and 12 through 14, and were evoked by the behavior of the guests and the hosts. The third was <clears throat> in verse 15 through 24. And that was a reply to the random comment in our text, which we'll deal with all of this in just a moment. <coughs> Excuse me. The text that is before us can be broken down into two parts, and that's the way that I have done it with my outline. Verses 1 through 14, Jesus the guest, and then the remainder of it, verses 15 through 24, Christ the host. First, let's deal with Jesus as the guest. Sharing meals was an important part of Jewish life, and it became an important part of the church life. In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 47, we read, And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, 
as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. In the East, eating together is a mark of friendship and a sign of commitment to one another. This is why the Lord said that some would come to the door shouting, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And we read this last time, Luke 13, verses 26 and 27. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. The idea was that they felt themselves to be friends of his, that perhaps as a result he owed them. And this is because of the sharing and the eating and of the drinking. What Jesus owed them was a teaching, setting things in order, as he so often had done. In our text, Jesus points out that they were, in verses 1 through 6, he points out they're ignoring the needy. In verse 7 through 11, he points out that uh, they were seeking for honor. And in verses 12 through 14, he points out that they were expecting to be repaid. So let's deal with this in those three different sections as, as listed. <clears throat> First, they're ignoring the needy. Was this handicapped man there as bait to catch Jesus? It would sure seem so, as we read before and after his presence is announced in our text, that the lawyers and the Pharisees were watching and they were keeping silent. And they have been trying to trap him for a while. And again, since this message is from the summer, if you've heard the other messages, you know that they're still trying to catch him or trap him. If so, what an awful way to treat this man. But Jesus heals him. So what a blessing it resulted for this man with the dropsy. What a pity that people even today show more concern about protecting animals than they do for helping humans. Once again, Jesus deliberately violated their Sabbath day traditions, just as uh, in doctor's Luke, Dr. Luke's account alone already, we've seen it in Luke 4, 31 through 39, Luke 6, verses 1 through 10, Luke 13, verses 10 through 17. But they ignore the needs that's all around them for the opportunity to catch or to trap the Lord Jesus. The second thing is the seeking for honor, which again we see in verses 7 through 11. The seats closest to the host were the best seats, and the guests looking for recognition tried to secure them. It is what we are that really counts, not where we are. Proverbs chapter 25, verses 6 and 7 says, Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king. Stand not in the place of great men. For better it is that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. Luke 14, verse 11, from our text says, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Luke 18, and this is a, a, we've covered this in a more recent part of this study. Luke 18, verse 13 through 14 says, And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Matthew chapter 23. Yes, we have a lot of these examples, don't we? Matthew 23, starting in verse 2. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, 
and that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but that they themselves will not but they themselves will not move them with one of their own fingers, but all their works they do for do. I apologize, my recorder got interrupted. Let me go back here. We're reading Matthew chapter 23, verses 2 through 12, and I think you got a lot of it, but let me start back at the beginning of this sentence. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi, but be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. Listen to this, folks, and I'm sure you're already thinking of some denominational institutions in our own day that are breaking this, but listen to this. This is what Jesus says. Call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself uh, shall be exalted. There's an argument to be made, beloved, that we as preachers should not be calling ourselves reverend or uh, any weird and bizarre attention-grabbing titles such as these because we aren't reverent, worthy of reverence. We aren't to be reverenced. Uh, Pastors have a heavy work, a burden that the Lord sees to our need, and we should be prayed for. But we are not fathers, we're not priests of the light, we're not masters of anything, we're used of the Lord. And I pray that you're not under a pastor who uh, exercises such such strength and such weight over you. Make sure you consult the scriptures. And if you're in a Lord's, one of the Lord's churches, every man has a voice, every man has a vote. See to it that you guard the work that you've all been called to see to. The third thing we see here in verses 12, 13, and 14 is that they're expecting to be repaid. The thrust of Christ's admonition to the host was, do not habitually invite those who can invite you in return. R.G. Letourneau, an inventor in the twentieth, early 20th century, used to say, if we give only because it pays, it won't pay. Our motives must be pure if our service is to honor God and be blessing to others. Luke chapter 6, verse 32 through 36 says, For if ye love them which love you, what think have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what think have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what think have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners, to receive as much gain. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful, and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Fellowship that is based on selfish competition is not Christian fellowship at all. It is self-serving, not Christ-serving. This is a very dangerous thing, and we must be careful about it, beloved. And again, unfortunately, the admonition comes on us pastors as well. The ideals practiced in most Bible conferences today, unfortunately, promote the ego a tad bit more than they promote the gospel. Let us be careful. 
When we're invited to speak, let us make sure our hearts are right. Let us make sure the invitation is deliberate and with the interest, the best interest of the church in mind concerning the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And likewise, if we were to decline an invitation to a Bible conference, let our reasoning be that it is not the Lord's will. Because if a church has prayed over inviting us, we indeed should take it into heavy consideration as to what the Lord might have for us to do there. The second thing for us to consider from this text is in verses 15 through 24, and that's Christ the host. The Jews pictured their future kingdom as a great feast with the patriarchs as the honored guests. If you'll turn over to Isaiah 25, we, we see a little bit of this. Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees well refined. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people. And the veil that is spread over all nations, he will swallow up death and victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. For the Lord hath spoken it. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. We see Jesus speak to this last time in Luke 13, verses 28 through 30, which uh, comes uh, just before this chapter, because we're in Luke 14 for our current study. It says there in Luke 13, verse 28, There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first and there are first which shall be last. Ties up wonderfully what we're seeing here in Luke 14 with who shall be exalted. It's a mighty thing for us to consider, beloved. Who shall be exalted? It is he who is last, not he who is first. Salvation is a feast, not a funeral. Everything we need has already been provided. All we must do is come and be filled. When a host planned a feast, he told his guests the day of the feast, but not the hour. He had to know how many were coming so he could butcher enough meat and provide sufficient food. Remember, we have to take these things into consideration. The, the context of what he's talking about is usually connected to the events around the time in which he is saying them. So the servants would then go out near the hour of the feast and tell the guests to come. Remember, the guests in this story had already agreed to come, but then they backed out. Their action and excuses were a terrible breach of etiquette, as well as an insult to the host. Think of the one. His only excuse was that he had a wife, and, and I chuckled when I read it, but it's sad. We still see this today. He had a wife. And couldn't come. Now, there's a, a lot I could do there uh, with sermons for sure. But, beloved, uh, when we consider headship and we consider the idea of the man leading his home, which is biblically what is required, we must understand that we men don't have that as an excuse. I have a wife, so I can't come. That's not a, an excuse that is acceptable before Christ. In fact, there's no excuse acceptable before Christ. When he's given invitation, we are to come. Who will go for me? Our answer as Christians should be me. You say where we go, Lord. 
That should be our response. And women, let let be very careful that we are not an excuse, any of us, for another not following the Lord. We uh, talk in a, in a sermon, if you're listening to these in order and you've gotten to this one before the, the other ones, which is how it's supposed to work, uh, you know that there's a there's some text coming here in Luke where he talks about the trap stick uh, and the dangers of uh, more experienced believers being a snare to the younger ones, the, the newer believers. And that's kind of what he's building up to here, that we be careful, wives to husbands, husbands to wives, and mothers and fathers to children, that we aren't the one tripping the snares for those that come behind. Warren Wiersbe writes something that I like here about this text. He says, The three people all had feeble excuses. In the East, real estate transactions are long and complicated. And how can he examine his property in the dark? Furthermore, anybody who buys ten oxen without first testing them is a fool. Finally, the third man's wife really had nothing to do with the event, for women were not usually invited to public feasts. It was only an excuse. There were two responses by the host. He shut the door on the excuse-making guests, and he got others to take their places at the feast. God wants his house filled. Those he had first chosen were rebellious and denied the Father, the Holy Spirit, and soon the Son. The church will soon be dispatched to the highways and the hedges to compel them to come in. May the Lord help our minds and hearts as we wrestle and deal with this text. And I pray that he adds a blessing to the preaching of his word.